If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Ty Hua, here with my co-host, John Kahns, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect engaging discussions, expert interviews, and actionable advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we're having a conversation with a real, live Catholic ministry professional. Joe Rudden, welcome to the podcast. How we doing, fellas? It's good to have you here, Joe. We go way back, don't we? It's been a couple of years, John. I haven't seen you for a while, but uh, you know, I live right uh, down the street here now from our old boss, Sister Catherine Easley. Oh, how's she doing these days? She's doing good. She's doing good. Yeah, she's actually yeah. kind of my boss. You know, they uh, they sponsor the <laughs> college, right? the the institute <laughs> I run. They they put the money into it, so. I tell some I tell some stories on the podcast about Sister Catherine. Yeah. She's a uh, she's a class act. She's also a, she's a rock star, absolute yeah, rock yeah. star. Yeah, not to be messed with. <laughs> no, not at all. She'll <laughs> let you know if you're stepping out of line. <laughs> well, good. Well, it's it's so good to have you. Of course, uh, I know you well, Ty. I I don't know if you guys have ever met it, Joe and, and I don't Ty, think so. Uh -huh. I well, this will be this will be great. I, I don't know if I've ever had the privilege. Yeah, well, I don't know if most people would call it a privilege or not there, Ty, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get along then because people say the, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for, for our dear listeners, uh, let me get out of the way. You tell the listeners about yourself, what your ministry looks like. Just, yeah, kind of what's your story? Oh, uh, my story. Oh, Joe, 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 let's hear it. Well, married, uh, got a magnificent spouse that puts up with me for 13 years, Laura Beth, and uh, it's a Catholic ministry, so she's a convert. I used to teach some summer courses. Instead of painting, I'd teach adults the faith, and my wife took the course before she was my wife converted, and then I asked her to marry me. So we got four kids, 12, uh, 12 11-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old, and a 1-year-old. So that's uh, been a interesting adjustment, uh, bringing the diapers back. And so, uh, so I've got a family, live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, big Catholic family, come from, uh, you know, kind of your general blue collar Catholic family. And yeah, been in Catholic education for over two decades and, you know, worked down at Mount Marty University in Yankton, South Dakota. Yeah, and what, what's your role there? Kind of lay that out for us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm uh, the director of the Benedictine Leadership Institute. So it's uh, there's 12 Catholic Benedictine colleges in the United States. You might be familiar with Benedictine in Kansas and you, Mary, in Bismarck, North Dakota. Well, the, the monks just followed the Missouri River, really starting down in St. Louis. Uh, and Mount Marty is the Benedictine one in South Dakota. So it's a small liberal arts college, teachers, nurses, college, nursing college. And the nuns uh, about 20 years ago endowed this institute. And uh, I guess they couldn't find anybody else to run the thing. So they're like, hey, Joe, would you come help us out? So, uh, But I've spent my, most of my career in uh, edu Catholic education, spent 10 years at O'Gorman, a uh, number of them with you, John. And then went to work for the Cathedral of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, and then have been down here for uh, now seven years at Mount Marty. Yeah, and I, I love the, the you've got a good perspective as we speak to our listeners, Catholic ministry professionals, people working 
in the church and Catholic ministry and Catholic schools because you've had that experience, both received it growing up and then you worked in a Catholic school, you've worked in a parish setting right next to diocesan chancery staff. And now even at the collegiate level and working, running, running an institute, um, not necessarily tied into a specific parish, but linked up with, with that university with Mount Marty there. And so I, I just think I'm excited for our listeners. Uh, I'm excited for myself to be able to pick your brain a little bit, especially in this, this area of leadership, because I know that's something you're very passionate about. And so I'd, I'd love to just talk a little bit about for us. And one of the key things we want to address in, in our podcast is areas of frustrations that Catholic ministry professionals find themselves in, and maybe even how the solutions for those, how do we work through those that, that you got leadership? You got problems in ministry? I <laughs> well, not me, but you know, some people do. <laughs> uh, oh, baby, we could talk for a while. <laughs> well, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are what are some of those areas that you see people getting frustrated in their work, and that can be all up and down the board? Any of the areas you've worked where you're at right now? Because you, you're oh, surrounded yeah. by so, ministry professionals. Yeah. So I think you know this is this is interesting. So we're going to spend a little while here just shooting the bull and. And I'm off the cuff, so I'll kind of rant. I'll just take off, you know, and you, you stop me. But this is, number one, I was called to this work. I didn't choose it. And I guess if you could say I chose it, um, you know, I'm doing what I feel the Lord called me to do. Uh, but I, it's it's very frustrating at times. And it's particularly difficult in a place like America, where I think sometimes we have the luxury of comfort. I mean, we get a bitch and complain about a lot of stuff that people in a lot of parts of the world just, they can't complain about. And I think that the American prosperity, Western prosperity, I I think in the big picture, we're going to look back and say, you know, the decadence of of the West is really what's bitten us. And so we just, we just have the ability to bitch and complain. I can, I don't, I don't know if I can. See uh, so like, what's really going on here? Well, what's really going on is the sink. The ship is sinking. If we're honest, I mean, I, I stopped looking at the data and the stats uh, when it came to ministry, but it's not just ministry. Educators are, this is happening in education now, right? This is happening, uh, seems like the only place that's not having this happen is politics. You know, it's, there's never a shortage of politicians, right? Like, um, so what's really going on? I, I sense an institutional decline, that there's a, really a, a defragmentation, a, a pulling apart of the fabric of social society, and it's manifesting now institutionally. Education is broken in a way that uh, I don't know that anybody really can fix in, in a large scale situation. Healthcare, how's healthcare going for us, right? Like, you know, if you got health insurance, that's great, but there's a lot of people that, you know, struggle with healthcare and what are the costs and who's in charge and, and this type of stuff, right? Well, well, church, religion, traditional religions are plumbing. It's not just Catholics. So what do we do in this context or situation? My experience uh, is is twofold. One, I I think I often think 
that the people that have faith oftentimes forget that the ones they're ministering to haven't had an encounter with Jesus Christ. So they're catechizing a whole group of people, whether that's the priest from the pulpit, the catechist on Wednesday night, or the ministry professional that's doing marriage prep. If you haven't had, a, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, then this is like teaching you history or English or math. And if you don't have any particular interest in the subject, then the minute I'm done pushing, you roll back down the hill. And I roll over on the side of the hill, like exhausted, like, oh man, oh, what in the world, you know? And then I, you know, I might complain about the person that just rolled down the hill, like it was their fault. Uh, I might point at the church or the guy in Rome and kind of say it's his fault. Or, I mean, my parish priest, of course, it's their fault if they would just, and so we just grumble. And I, I, so I, I think that it, without an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, this is for naught. So in my mind, the priority principle ought to be evangelization, not catechesis. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, if, if you're catechizing somebody, it's because they should have already had an encounter with Jesus Christ. If they have not had an encounter with Jesus Christ, then stop trying to teach them about the Eucharist. Take them on an adventure, run them out to the mountains, and sit down and spend a couple of days with them and talk to their heart. Get to know them as a human. Don't sit them in a classroom and then be mad because they don't show up at church on Sunday. I, I so I don't, you, like I said here, right. You kind of, so I really, <laughs> that's one, that's one that, that the gospel has to be first encountered in the person of Christ before you can receive a catechetical discipleship. But I see a lot of people wanting to disciple and then they wonder how come nobody's in the pews, right? Like, all right, so that's, that's on one side. Um, on the other side of the coin is that I think adventures, I, I, I remember when I read, remember John Paul's biography, George Weigel's biography of John Paul, that big, big, huge, massive blue book. I read like, you know, 12 pages of it. Um, but I did read enough in there to uh, get to the part where he was a university professor. And you know what John Paul did? Now, he's a professor, so of course he's lecturing. He's catechizing. He's... But you know what he did is he took, he took the students on ski trips. He took them up into the mountains. He went hiking with them. He had friendship. He had relationship with them. That's where the catechizing had a capacity to be, to be needed and to be uh, 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 given depth and breadth and for questions and, and for dialogue and conversation. And, and so, so on the front end, we have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. On the back end, I think the best work is done on adventures. This is why we all love Lord of the Rings. 
because it's one big adventure. Storytelling. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult place to be, but I think that there's always hope. But I think we really have to be honest about where we're really at and how things are really going. Oh, definitely. We we talk a lot on on our podcast and the, in some of the episodes too, the more topical episodes we have. One of the things we talk about often is the intentionality of of building towards something of even if that adventure, right? Say you can't get out to the mountains, right? You're yep. a really small rural parish or whatever it is. That that adventure of actually intentionally walking together towards something, not just throwing Jesus at their faces, but I'm going to build an intentional relationship with them. And and one of the things we we would always bring up, kind of this devil's advocate of, well, you know, strategic, you know, movements, strategic, you know, invitations, strategic calling, strategic building. Well, it all sounds manipulative, and and it's not. That's just how you build a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a strategic, strategic plan. I mean. Listen, there's no reason that strategic plans shouldn't be used in parishes. It shouldn't be used in Absolutely. ministry. I mean, this is not rocket science. It's not like, I mean, I'm a data, but you know, it's, it's, um, and so there, that's, that's another critique, right? Like the inability for the church to incorporate modern professional practices. It's, it's, you know, whether that's just simply a strategic plan. I don't know about you, but, I've never seen a parish with an actual strategic plan. <laughs> now, if I had, it was in the priest's head. That was about as far as the strategic plan got. And, you know, and then you'd go on an annual retreat and he'd form you spiritually or do some reflection. But no, we didn't go do a spiritual planning retreat. He gave us a couple of reflection days. Uh, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Then we all went back to the office and like, all I do is start pushing papers and getting certificates signed for baptism and taking phone calls. Like, I don't understand how any of this adds up into what the work of the gospel is that the priest has responsibility over for this parish. I just know that I stay in my office here and I, uh, get Sunday school ready for the kids. I think we could do a better job incorporating professional practices in parish life. Well, just even the reality that we, we've got the, the most important mission in the world. We should do it on purpose. You know, we shouldn't uh -huh. wait for it to happen on accident. You know, I, and I have, I've been a part of some strategic planning for parishes. And then you come up with a laundry list of, you know, oh. initiatives or things that could be better. But then it's like, well, who's going to do this? Yeah. Who's going to do the work? And, and that's tough. You know, we, um, Ty introduced me to a really great book. And honestly, I think you'd love this book, but I think it should be required reading for all priests, uh, for all pastors, for all leaders in ministry is the the four disciplines of execution. Hmm. And uh, they do a really good job of saying, yes, you might have 15 things you want to get done, but you got to pick the most important goal that is going to move your mission forward. And then you need to execute on that, build a plan for that one goal. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. You, you'd love that book. I think you should absolutely yeah. look into that one. I appreciate yeah, you for yeah, sharing. Yeah, your that'd be definitely. Uh, so I, I think, you know, we got, I have two brothers that are priests. So I've got a, a couple other angles that kind of, you know, that experience of having. So I am always cautious. I, my job, I don't really blow up priests very much, although I think most of their homilies are, you know, I think, I think our homiletics, there's a reason, there's a reason that, uh, so let's go this way. So I mentioned that. It's, 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 it's hard. It's hard, right? What's the point of the homily at mass? It's not an evangelization tool. It's a catechetical tool. 
But mm-hmm. a lot of those people in the pews haven't been haven't been encountered. They haven't encountered Jesus Christ. And so then you're going to stand up there and you're going to give us five minutes of Thomas Aquinas. I'm all for it. I love it. But my goodness, would you please speak to my mind and heart? Would you please help me understand how this is applicable to my crazy life at home? To my insufficiency that I feel as a father? To my stress that I have when I come home from work? To the fact that I, I, you know, I got addictions. Like somehow help me connect to what it is that you're saying. And don't just give me a lecture that's like a professor, you know, and I, it's, 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 it's hard, I know, but I, I still believe that there's a reason that people love going to the mega churches. They love going to the Protestant services. Because you know what? They work on those messages. I got a buddy, Adam Weber, up in Sioux Falls at uh, uh, Embrace. They've got a team every week, the, 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 the message, they call it, right? So, you know, it's, it's Protestant. They don't have a liturgical service, right? But their message, they have to, like, have it written by Wednesday. Then they bring it to the leadership council, and they have to give it to the entire leadership council, and everybody critiques it. Everybody gets an angle on it. Everybody gets to question it. And then by the time they roll out on Sunday, they've thought about a lot of different ways that people might interpret what they say, how they say it, the tone they say it with. And I'm telling you, the tone of voice matters in evangelization. Right? The disposition disposition of the preacher matters. And so I think that these are places that maybe we could be a little more dynamic. I don't need, you know, the Southern Baptist preacher, although I'd prefer them. Uh, you know, like somebody get up and like get me excited a little bit, pump me up. Yeah. Now, conservative, liberal, progressive, traditional, all I understand all the arguments. But at the end of the day, we have people that have never encountered Jesus Christ sitting in our pews. Remember, only 50%, if that, are actually in the pews. And of the ones that are in the pews, like 40% of them haven't encountered Jesus Christ in a, in a dynamic way. So those 40%, we're going to catechize? Yeah. No, I, I, I love your example of if you haven't had a true encounter with Jesus and you're trying to catechize, that's like teaching history or math or English. But if you think back in high school, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a just a, an on fire science teacher like I had in yep. middle school, Mrs. Rain, like I hated pretty much every other class. Except her class, I was excited to go to her class, I was excited to learn. But then we come to this awesome thing we have called the Catholic faith, and then we're trying to tell them about the Eucharist, about confession, about the church history and all these different things when really people don't really give a crap about it until they have that encounter with Christ. You know, right, right. I think you, you raise a couple of points here. Number one, I believe it's also why the faith practice and witness of that other teacher matters. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a Catholic system, like 
the math teacher being a person of witness, I, I think actually matters. Um, some people don't. And the, the other side of that is that the encounter with Jesus isn't like this. I, uh, I encounter, I, I finally encountered him. Well, no, you encountered Jesus in time and space. We are, we're, we're conscious beings located in the material world in connection and relationship to other people. We encounter Jesus through people. And so it is that walk that John talked about. You have to go to the hills. You don't have to pay a bunch of money. You don't have to go on a big, just go on a walk with somebody. Right? But here's what we do. Here's what we do with education is when's the last time that you and one of your teachers or you remember like a high school teacher, like spending time in community and friendship with their teachers and the teacher students. We don't, we compartmentalize yeah. it all, right? They, tr you go into a class for here's your relationship well, you know what? Like Sean Clary, I think of Sean Clary up at O'Gorman. He's like a wonderful human being. Now, I don't even know what's all going on up there, but they have this well or something. They all go to this worship place and they, they praise and worship together. You've got teachers and students in public worship together. That's what I'm talking about. It's encountering Jesus Christ and the witness of another person in praise and worship. I, they get like a hundred people at this thing, right? Like it wasn't there when we were there. Now I can't do what that ministry leader does. I don't know if I tried doing that, like six people would show up. I've heard you sing. It'd probably be less, <laughs> but, but I like what you're saying there. I think it's true. People follow people. And so it is important as ministers, right? As, as, as ministers of the gospel, we really do have to take that into account. And, and think more deeply about what does that mean that the gospel is a relational ministry? It's not simply a doctrinal dissemination of information. Yeah, I mean, you, you take a look at the at some of the saints, like um, Saint Mother Teresa. People just wanted to be around her. Sure, yeah. it, it's her faith. It, it's about Jesus, but they wanted to be around her. And when you're talking about that relational thing that's what they're after it wasn't just you know I, i'm i'm now granted it's going to sound very bad but it's not just about being next to jesus they wanted to be with mother Teresa, yeah. doing the work that she was doing so are we doing the same thing within our catholic ministry you know uh, catholic ministries as professionals and now when you talk about those um practical uh, you didn't say tools but i think we knew we knew what you're going after applying some of those tools to to you know the modern tools to our everyday jobs yeah really brings us up to date so you know what what are some tools you think every parish needs to have in their tool belt for for ministry in the 21st century <sighs> hmm. stories we need to be better storytellers um, my theology degree, my master's is uh, from the Augustine Institute. And, you know, it's been a lot, few years. Uh, one thing that I vividly, vividly remember was learning about the word narratio. 
and it's the word for to for story narration right we 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 so that the gospel the i believe the principle was that we need new methods and modes of evangelization and narratio needs to be a preeminent uh tool of our catechesis and so i think we need uh to do a better job of storytelling and what do I mean by that? Look at some of the stuff that Formed has done. Look at some of the stuff that Lighthouse Catholic Media has done. Look at some of the stuff Focus has done. Uh, you marry up in uh, Bismarck has a publishing company called the First Things. No, that can't be First Things. Uh, um, oh, Prime. Prime Matters. Prime Matters. And they've got some cool videos. But I'm talking like that's that's where I think the magic is. Remember when the Passion of Christ came out? Definitely. Like, dude, that thing was like off the charts, right? Why? Because it was done at a level of excellence according to secular standards, right? Like all of the human greatness that's in the movie-making world, the arts world, right, was deployed in service of the gospel. And in People just flock to it, and I still use it. I still watch it. I still talk about it. I still refer to it. Um, I think that that type of a, a thing is because it's storytelling using mod modern media, modern tools. Um, I'm not big into like putting the banners in churches and projecting. I mean, my par one of my parishes, I got two parishes. Holy Spirit does it, you know, whatever. It's not the end of the world, but you know, I'm I'm more traditional. I like the cathedral with. You know, I like to walk in and look up and be odd uh, instead of having a movie screen, but whatever. Like if, you know, show, so movies, videos, dramatic encounters like that, I think are powerful. Once again, because they're, it's an opportunity to encounter, to enter into that story of Christ. The story, my story. Um, another thing real quick here, I think they need video games. Who hasn't created these video games, dude? The apostles? Like, dude, dude, Paul? Paul's shipwrecked. He's imprisoned. He's, he like has some miraculous encounter where like the guard, remember when he gets broke out of jail? Well, in Roman times, the, the guard, if a prisoner gets free, the guard gets killed. So the, the guard's like, you know, probably thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble, you know? And he spares the guard. Hey, it's going to be all right, you know, like. I mean, Paul getting beheaded in Rome or, uh, 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 yeah, Paul. And then Peter crucified Andrew, like who hasn't created the legend of Zelda for Christianity? <laughs> I love that idea. That's hilarious. And honestly, there's probably a bajillion dollar market for that. <laughs> and you know what? Guess what it would do? It would catechize our children. Amen. Yeah, it would teach them those stories. Well, look, I, I, I think you really nailed something there with being better storytellers, because it even reaches back to what we were talking about earlier, that I would love a homily that was that was a passionate sharing of the story. And, and maybe you're not an eloquent speaker. Maybe you're not a, you know, maybe you're not good at putting your thoughts on on paper. But telling a story is something that that's intrinsic to us. I mean, we all tell stories all yep. the time and, and we can refine that skill. And there's all kinds of frameworks to do that. But just telling a story, uh, they, they've done studies on this. When you start to tell a story, it wakes up a different part of the brain that mm -hmm. draws you in, in another way. It, it brings you to attention to what's being told. And so 
to take it from I'm telling you this thing about the Bible and to still tell the story instead. And yeah, then the story I, of what God is doing in your life. Yep, yep. And I do want to be be honest that two things. One, uh, the world was kind of made for extroverts, and I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. So I do want to be attentive to that. Listen, not everybody wants somebody standing on their head uh, entertaining them. Like, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Uh, you know, the Lord's given us all gifts and pers of human personality. And authenticity is important. I, I just think we can train ourselves a little better in connecting to the people in the pew. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. So, stuff. yeah. So, as we're talking, uh, one thing that we hear a lot is, um, you know, it's not all about the numbers in ministry, right? It's not all about the numbers. And, and I, it's about I do the hear, numbers. <laughs> but it's also about the numbers. The numbers matter, right? Because yep, if right I'm right getting right. paid a salary, I've got yeah. obligations. So how do you balance that, that spiritual side with the practical side of ministry? Yeah, I, I, this is part of where I, uh, now I'm, I just paint huge, broad strokes, but our Protestant brothers and sisters, um, you will find that they invest oftentimes in running a business. Their, their churches, it's like a business. And most Catholic parishes are not a business, and you wouldn't think of them as a business. And uh, you, won't, you won't see spreadsheets with numbers on it. it like the, the, the business, the office manager and the priest maybe have an idea of what's going on. And if there's even a quarter of financial boards of, of the parish council, you know, operating, like, I, I think that we could do a better job of utilizing the business acumen of, lay, of the laity to run our parishes, to run really dioceses. I mean, priests aren't trained to be business leaders. They're not trained they to run parishes. To They're trained to be catechists, right? To, to be gospel message, to be Jesus Christ. They don't, and these are not even small businesses. I think we really take it for granted. A small business could employ three people. Every church I know employs three people. Every <laughs> priest runs a small business. If I had to run a small business, John, it'd go bankrupt in six months and I'd be in debt and I'd be looking for a salaried job. And I was going to be a priest. So just because I got ordained, I can go run a parish. I think that, you know, and so we're trying, places are trying and uh, the crisis of the, the numbers in the priesthood is forcing it. And, but I, I really think we could do a better job of, of, actually utilizing the acumen of the professional community. Scripture says we were all given gifts, you know, and there's places that are utilizing these gifts concept and trying to deploy them. But you know what it really involves? And I will throw the priests under the bus here. The priests have to give up control. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, they're not, it's, it's the pre-show. There's not, that's, and I, can't change canon law and I don't know how it all works, but if the priests can't give up control, then the parishes can never mature where the laity actually feel the responsibilities in a way that makes them healthier. But then we actually have to be able to pay 
those positions a market wage. Well, and I, I genuinely think if you, you know, what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but if you're employing good people and you're paying them a decent salary to keep them around, you're going to find ways to implement it. And I, I mean, even not just get a really good director of religious education. No, really think about the position you need to help your parish to thrive. That might be a director of operations. It might right. be a, a director of mission advancement, you know, any of those things. If you do that, you're actually going to be able to build the infrastructure that can bring on more better employees to right. to run the ship, to move the mission forward. I, I even think about, I think parishes should own businesses, you know, they, there already are one. Um, but, you know, for example, St. Catherine Drexel in Sioux Falls. And I, I don't know canon law about this. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm not that smart. But they have a giant plot of land that they don't have anything on. And, and they were trying to figure out what to do with it a while back. And I said, build an apartment complex. Like you, you can even have the government pay your rent and, and yep. you can house the poor. Yep. Like how great would that be if some of our poor could, could literally, we could house our poor, <laughs> could literally shelter the homeless here on our property. Well, how great would that be? You know, and, but that's such a big idea. And, you know, some, you know, pastor goes, I don't know how to do that. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to like find people who do, you know, so thinking about all these different ways that we can build, build a better church, a more robust church, um, build, I don't know, really, like you said, kind of use the laity, um, delegate to the laity, these these, I don't know, ideas that are even bigger than what we can think of because we're limited by our own views and perspectives and opinions and, and abilities. Right. Yeah. And then I look back and I think, you know, how much, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I got to, I got to, I come from a weird place. Like I was born and raised Catholic. I have a huge Catholic family. My parents had a conversion in 19, I don't know, 72 or something in the charismatic renewal. Off you familiar with kind of the old charismatic renewal. And so that Father Scanlon and the Steubenville, like people think Steubenville, well, Steubenville, old, old back, you know, 82, like, you know, when all of that really first happened. Well, before Steubenville, you know, you had this coming of the charismatic renewal. So my parents had a conversion and the oldest brother is, here's my oldest siblings, Rick, Christy, Laura, and Shelly. Then they had a conversion. Thomas, Paul, Joseph, John, and Catherine. Now, <laughs> I, I think they were supposed to be Mary, but uh, you can tell, right? Their life changed because of an encounter. And you can see it in the naming of their children, even. So what, where am I going? Well, so I'm raised with this conversion experience, but I haven't had the encounter. So I'm just sitting in the pew. I'm actually, I wasn't even sitting in the pew. If I could sneak out of the pew and bring a bulletin home and tell my parents I went to church, I would. I, I had no problem. Like, I mean, I, whatever. Like, I mean, for my high school career, yeah, whatever. Now I believed the faith. I, you know, but I didn't know who Jesus was. I'd never had an encounter. Well, I had a conversion experience March 1st, 1996. Like, uh, bring me on another time and I'll tell it. It's, it's a phenomenal story. Transformed my life in confession. Literally, the Spirit just washed through me. And the Scripture, though your skin, sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
just popped into my head. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> that's what just happened, dude. It was the craziest thing ever. So I have this conversion experience and I'm like, oh, I'm telling you, John, the next day I was a different human. I, I went to bed. I'd never slept so good in my life. I woke up the next day and like, I was a different human. And so in that experience, it's like, oh, all right. Now all of a sudden I'm reading Padre Pio. I'm reading about uh, uh, the Fatima. I'm reading all this stuff like, man, I could, I was just consuming my faith. Um, but then I had this little seed of alcoholism that, that I had kind of just waiting for me. It just kind of, and then all of a sudden it got real flowery. And, and I just turned into it. My addiction really came forward when I went to college. And I thought that if I just moved, I could fix it. So what I did was I moved up to the cities. I went to St. Paul's Outreach and Net Ministries. Phenomenal ministries. Phenomenal training. I received unbelievable formation. I kept my alcoholism like contained for a bit, you know. And then I went into seminary. I had four years in seminary. I had a phenomenal experience in, in Catholic studies and just really a blessed, blessed place. Well, then I left seminary after my undergrad. And I went to O'Gorman where we would meet, but my friendships changed. I no longer had the community in which my, my evangelization was being nurtured and fed and given life. And, and I had accountability and I had, you know, transparency. I had, uh, uh, you know, peacemaking. I had people to help rough, you know, my rough edges. And, and so what I found was that without community, this thing's really, really hard. And it, 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 it just, I, I don't know that what I found was that I just more and more went back to just being that Sunday Catholic, uh, just showing up at church, but my spirituality was terrible. My, my, my interior life was bad. And my, now I'm, you know, so anyway, I, I'm an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic. And, but, but, that, that just kind of brought me to this point where all of a sudden I had another spiritual experience, but this one wasn't like the previous one, but it was the same spirit. It was more progressive and slow, but the difference John was, was that it was in a community of people. I had a community of people that I was in that walked with me in my sobriety. And I'm telling you, it was just like it was with my religious conversion. So when you talked earlier about walking with people, how much of our Catholic church is just Sunday? We go to church for an hour on Sunday. Folks, that won't cut it. It's not going to cut it for ministers. And if ministers, I, this was my challenge with, with parish ministry was I couldn't crack that nut. I couldn't figure out how to get that community where the parishioners were in a community because they lived all over the place. And the only time they were at the church was on Sunday for mass, or they might come for a wedding or something here or there. But communal life had nothing to do with our parish. It still doesn't. My neighborhood is not even where I go to church. I go to church, you know, that's not how the old school was, right? How many of us or, or even our parents grew up with neighborhood churches that you walked to, that you passed neighbors sitting on the porch, that, that you went to school with the other kids, that, that this wasn't just where you went to church. It also was where you went to school. Um, I think that community is going to be the essential mark 
that we find is where restoration comes for the, the communities or for the, the tools, tactics, back to your question, the tools or tactics that work, I believe fundamentally will be because of the community in which they're exercised. Amen. Yeah, so we've we've talked a lot about things that frustrate us and <laughs> where, you know, uh, rolled a couple of priests under the bus and probably just, put it in hey, reverse. We'll just say my, my two, just my brothers I threw oh, under. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so we like to do this where we, we can brag on people. We can brag on, oh, on yeah. um, different uh, parishes. It could be a parish, it could be a, an apostolate that's doing ministry really well. Yeah. Where do you see ministry that's being done really well that you, you can brag on them a little bit? Holy Spirit in Sioux Falls. Um, now, this is interesting because I, I'm like in the, you know, my, my family, I'm in the middle of everything. I'm, I, I have kind of orthodox, traditional, conservative uh, morals and beliefs. Um, I like classical architecture. I think beauty matters. I can't stand modern churches, these types of things. Like, you know, if you're going to do a crucifix, the resurrected Jesus isn't my cup of tea. Like, I'd like a little <laughs> blood dripping from his, you know, knees at least or uh, it, but on the other side of it, it's like, um, what I, I belong to the cathedral parish in Sioux Falls, but we often go to Holy Spirit where my children are for school and Holy Spirit's in the round and I can't stand it. Like, I'm like this, the, the last thing you need to give a person like me is an opportunity to stare at people for the next hour. I love going to the mall and people watching, right? That just, that's what I do, you know, watch the you know, little kid picking his nose over there and the other girl <laughs> slapping her mom. And, you know, it's like, this is fun. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Eucharistic consecration is going on. Uh, but it's a community of people. I mean, they know each other. You know what else is it's this, they're always there. They're reliable parishioners. They volunteer, they're servant oriented. Um, and, you know, it used to be like considered maybe like a progressive thing or more of a, a soft left thing of like stewardship and uh, we're a Eucharistic people and some of these tagline words and whatever else that categorize people. Well, that's kind of what Holy Spirit was. And you know what? It's a pretty damn good community, man. They do. And now. Do I like going to church there? Absolutely. Not. Absolutely. not. I don't. But I feel welcome there. I love going to church there. I love the people. I love going to donuts. My fa I love it when they have donuts and coffee. Like, And I'm fed. I'm fed spiritually. Now, would I rather go listen to the magnificent choir at the cathedral? Yes, every single time. But um, the other thing at Holy Spirit is Father Mason's back. We got a great priest that just, just dominates I love Father Mason. He's a great friend. He's very intellectual, so he's one that I could criticize. But he tells great stories, right? Like, to your point, John, I think you said, it's not the doctrine per se. It's that it, it has to connect. And, and Father tells great, great stories. Uh, my brothers, Father Paul, Father John, they, they just are rocking it. John's at USD doing ministry there. He's just knocking it out of the park. And I'll tell you, you want a preacher that speaks with like an apostolic voice, that like speaks to your heart. My brother, Father Paul at St. Mary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Holy crap. I mean, it's mm -hmm. good, dude. I'm like, wow. I, 
I mean, I do. I have no reason to brag up my brothers, <laughs> I, but Paul, man, he really is a phenomenal preacher. Really speaks with that that integrity and authenticity and depth, real depth. Uh, so that's kind of the couple of things that that I love right there. Uh, I've got some books for you. Mm, okay. So um, if you don't know who the one and only Yosef Pieper is. He is a Catholic, uh, well, he's deceased. He died in 91, I think. Catholic German philosopher. He wrote his dissertation literally in a bombed out building in Germany, in Munich, after World War II. And he actually was the one that introduced C.S. Lewis to the Germans after World War II. He has a phenomenal book on virtues, on the four cardinal virtues and the three theological virtues, the Christian idea of man, uh, any of his stuff is good. Any of it is good. But, you know, a lot of the man's masculinity, virtue, that's it's popular right now. Well, this is like really easy to read and it's worth uh, going. So Joseph Pieper, phenomenal. His most famous work is Leisure, the Basis of Culture, which a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, but that's a good one there, too. Um, oh. He also wrote a little track, The Abuse of Language, The Abuse of Power. Oh, I'm telling you, you want to go watch how political manipulation occurs, read that text, and then you can see how, and it's not just American or Joseph Goebbels and the Germans, or, but like uh, Linda Zegzebski is a, a Catholic uh, moral philosopher at the University of Oklahoma. And she, she wrote an article called Bullshit, and it's modern, modern sophistry. So it's, it's the abuse of language. It's the, the manipulation of language for power or for obfuscation of truth. So that's, a, that's another good one. And then the other one is Rowan Williams. Uh, Rowan is the emeritus retired archbishop of Canterbury. So he the, was the head of the Anglican Church. And I don't think anybody would put Rowan Williams like on a scale of Ratzinger or, you know, it's, but he's really good. It's simple. He writes with clarity. And this one is really good on, on Benedict. Um, but he has, uh, he has, I might even have it here. He has a book called Being Human. Being human, and it's on it's on what it means to be a human, and and Ty and John, I actually think one of the problems is that is a lack of philosophical training today. We do we don't know who we are, and and so we're trying to like find meaning and purpose and all. You ask anybody what is what a human is? What is a human being? Where do you even begin? Most people, we're body and soul. All right, well, what, what's that mean, right? Like uh, Rowan Williams gives you a really nice narrative into laying a foundation of what we would call academically uh, Christian anthropology, Christian humanism. What does it mean to be a homo sapien, right? Sapientia, wisdom, a wisdom walker, a truth seeker. What does this mean and look like? And he connects it to consciousness, which is also very popular today, but he's just writing from, you know. 
So anyway, those are my two things to brag on. Joseph Pieper, Rowan Williams, get get everything you can, read it all. Uh, our priests are all doing great. You know, God bless them. Holy crap. Amen. Got to pray for them. What a weight. I, I feel so, you know, like they're not the people to, to bitch and complain at. They really aren't. This isn't their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have to give up control, right? They do have to be willing to open up and, and allow for a new vision. Uh, what's the scripture say a people uh, about a people that don't have a vision? I think the Old Testament has a reference. Without vision, the people perish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel I like, like that. I feel like we could use a, a a new coming of the vision, right? Of of really, what what where are we going? What are we trying to do here? We we say all the time that uh, people will follow if they know where you're going and why, and that necessitates you knowing where you're going why you're going there, how you're going to get there, but they'll follow you. you know, but, but we have to communicate, you communicate those things to them as well. I think that's right. so important. And, and to the other thing is I, it's one thing to just complain, right. But to do something, yeah. don't just complain about it. I'll be part of the solution. You know, <laughs> I say this all the time too. I have a lot of friends. We complain a lot about the, the music in our parish, about the sound in our parish. And I have so many friends. It's like, okay, that's great. Are you going to sign up to le- or to canter? Yeah. Do you yeah. know someone that should be cantering? <laughs> Let's yes. talk to that person. You know, they, yeah, it's great. Like I get it. We all want to complain, but don't just complain. Realize that that God has literally baptized you, priest, prophet, and king. Right. You're part of that solution. You step into that role. Do the thing. Right. Yeah. I I think that if I'd leave a parting kind of thought, it's I used to have a, I used to see one, we don't allow people to like grow and change their thoughts or opinions ever. That's a problem. But I used to have a a challenge of uh, seeing spirituality and religion as exclusive because I would look and I would see like the people that are talking about spirituality, I would put in a box that said, well, these are people that don't want the, um, they don't want the they don't want the thumb of religion on them, right? They want to act like, oh, they're, you know, they're doing, they're good people and they're spiritual, but they don't, they don't want somebody telling them to go to church on Sunday or, you know, what they can and can't do in the bedroom. Um, and, you know, I've, I've come to realize that really, that was really a poor take. Although that can be what is going on in reality, we fundamentally have a spirituality problem. If an encounter with the divine hasn't occurred, that's a spiritual relationship. That's a spiritual deity. That's not a material reality up there. This divine, that's spiritual. And, And so how is it that my spirituality on a daily basis is being nurtured and fostered so that I'm in relationship with the, the, the wellspring. So that I'm drinking from the cup of Christ at the well. So that when I go to do my work, it's with his, it's his work, it's his water, it's his. I'm just doing what he asks. And I have found that one, I have a lot more peace and a lot more serenity when my spirituality and my prayer life are dialed in. And when they're not, I lose the peace in the serenity and I get a lot more judgmental 
and I complain a lot more. I grumble a lot more. So maybe I should have prayed before this podcast. <laughs> I should have had an encounter. Uh, hey, you guys are great. What a great podcast this has been. I'm so excited. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Thanks oh, I, for hopping absolutely. on. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have to be done. You tell me when to when to stop. We can keep rolling, but. No, no, I think we're kind of rounded down to that point. Um, uh, who do you think we should have on the podcast next? Ooh. Uh, you should have Jason Heron. Do you know okay. Jason's a colleague of mine down here? His he would be really good. Jason Aaron, he's a moral theologian. Um, and he's been with me at Mount Marty since I started uh, seven years ago. And his parents are converts. He's a convert. His wife's a convert. They're all converts. Um, it's just a phenomenal story. He's, he's, I think he's really, he's pleasant. He's funny. He's got a good sense of humor, but he's, he's dry. It, you'll, uh, so Jason Heron, you got to have on. Um, I don't know if you can get her, but Jen Fry is somebody, uh, Jen Frey, she's, uh, she just started a classics or an honors program at Tulsa. You should follow her if you don't. She's worth following. Jen Frey, uh, she's a Catholic philosopher, Aristotelian philosopher. Um, but I would say Jason Heron should be on ASAP. And one other one, I think I. Austin. Let's see, maybe he'll pop back in. Here he is. <laughs> we got him back. <laughs> oh, dude. Hey, don't forget to plug your computer in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you were on a roll. Well, we were just we were just saying it's been a great conversation. Obviously, your your passion for the faith, for the truth, for the, the beauty of the church. It, it just comes through and, and your your desire to see it thrive and just, just the spirit to be moving. So I, we really appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, is, I is appreciate there... it. Thank you guys for your ministry. I know that on your end too, right? Like you guys are probably cutting your teeth and uh, figuring out how this works and what ministry looks like in the, in the, the you know, in the new world, new technologies, all this. I've enjoyed it. This is a great little podcast. And uh, if I can help in any way, uh, let me know. The, there's another person, Nick Shudak, down here that you should get on to. So. Absolutely. We'll, we'll make a note. We'll try to follow. I, Jen Fry sounds familiar to me. Oh, dude, she's dynamite, man. She's down. Uh, she's She was at Southern Ca or South Carolina for a while. And, you know, what's the uh, what's the redheaded comedian? Who's the redheaded Car comedian? Caretop? Caretop? <laughs> oh, she's got to get this. No, the lady from Texas, from Austin. Oh, Jen, Jen, Jen Fulweiler? Yeah. Yeah. Garrett <laughs> Top, that's too funny. All right. So, um, no, she, she reminds me of Fulweiler, right? She's from that neck oh, of the woods sure. now, too. But uh, she just kind of, but she's like the intellectual version of, of Fulweiler. Uh, but you know why I really love Frey is because. She's a truth seeker, and she seems to be able to cut around some of the political BS. She speaks her mind, and she doesn't do it in a way where she's like Republican or Democrat. Like when she, you never know where she's going to come down on a topic. 
and it's refreshing. I really love, I really am attracted to those types of people that are seem to have a spirit that isn't so politically oriented or like boxed. So Jen Frey, she's just a dynamic, dynamic thinker that, uh, and like, for instance, she, she, uh, she thought Usher's performance was pretty good. Yeah. You know, like important cultural few, things to weigh in on. There's a few Catholics this morning that that's the first thing that, you know, they didn't like, you know, they thought the sexualization of the halftime show. Well, yeah. Jen's the type of person that she's going to be like, there was my high school crush. Usher just knocked it out of the park. Atta, baby, <laughs> we still got it. You know, like, so Jen Frey, she's wonderful. Yeah. No, this, right, has guys. Been, this has been a great conversation before you go. Thank you for being on the podcast. Is there anywhere our listeners can go to connect with you or support your ministry? Yeah. If you just go to uh, the Benedictine leadership Institute at Mount Marty university, you can just Google search my name, Joe Rutten. It'll come up. It'll give you a contact information there. Uh, but, you know, I really take some dynamic trips. I think the coolest thing I do is I get to take all our freshmen to the Black Hills on a monuments tour and a four day retreat and a, uh, the Rocky Mountains for for our sophomores on a four day leadership retreat. So what I saw John Paul II doing with college students, I get to do today. And it's one of the greatest blessings I have. That's awesome. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for your ministry. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals Podcast. If you want to transform your parish through your work, but you're not sure where to start, download the free parish health assessment at catholicministryprofessionals.com slash free assessment. It's just 36 questions. It only takes about five minutes to fill out. And afterwards, you will have a color-coded picture of your parish's health that you can then use to fuel better conversations, prioritize better work, and become a better leader. Finally, email us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com to share feedback or request a free consultation. And text this episode to a priest or a friend in ministry that needs to hear it. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard. <laughs>